So Adam, tell us about this part of Alaska. It sounds like it's genuine wilderness there. It is. I mean, it's still considered to be one of the the most remote parts of Alaska, which is a huge uh, state. I mean, the Brooks Range uh, is sort of legendary for being uh, impenetrable and um, a difficult place to get to. From above, the Brooks Range is a sea of mountains. From east to west, wave after wave of mountaintops extend as far as the eye can see. The Brooks Range is the farthest north extension of the Rocky Mountains. The vast, just sort of untouched nature of the landscape, I think, is what really strikes you. Here we're in the Arctic. And uh, this mountain range spans from Canada all the way to the Bering Sea. And, and with, of course, a handful of small villages along some of the major rivers. We're striking a trail across this, this pond here, or lake. We're far away from anybody. There's no five-star uh, lodges or motels up here. It's pristine. It's really quite extraordinary. I mean, it's honestly hard to, to sort of put into words, but the idea of putting a road through it is astonishing when you when you sort of see the, the landscape itself because it's, it's not an easy place to bring materials and uh, the cost and just the impact of doing that would be pretty significant. I'm Annie Snyder. This is Politico Energy. And today... Adam Fetterman on a proposed mining project in Alaska that pits the Biden administration's commitment to conservation against its push for a clean energy transition. It's Monday, September 20th. You fly in, uh, get dropped off in wherever it is your your destination uh, may be, and then you're basically... Uh, you know, on your own. You know, the, the, the early part of the trip, we started out at a, a remote wilderness lodge uh, and then continued on from there to one of the uh, native villages that is actually suing the Department of the Interior over the uh, handling of the environmental impact statement for for the project. So tell us a little bit about the mining project that's being proposed. What minerals are we talking about? What would they be used for? Yeah, so it's a primarily a copper zinc deposit the mining companies involved claim that it's one of the largest uh, such deposits in the world. And obviously, I mean, it's, it's been uh, known about for decades. And the primary issue is that there's no way to get this uh, stuff out of there and onto to trucks or ships, uh, hence the need for, for this 211-mile road. But copper is in high demand now, and the expectation is that it will be even more so in the coming years and decades with the push to, you know, transition to other forms of uh, green technology. So we we can imagine that the Biden administration will uh, face a dilemma in in whether to uh, proceed with uh, the road. Well, so explain a little bit more about that. When we think of sort of controversies over mining projects, it feels like the focus is often on the mine itself. But in this case, it seems like the road is the the tension point. Why is that? Yeah, well, the road is the tension point now. For the most part, when we encounter projects of this uh, scale and scope, you know, you don't need to bulldoze a road through the wilderness to make it viable. And and that's what you have here Mm. because the mine in the northwestern part of the state um, is so remote. You know, the, the road is undoubtedly controversial and, and the attention has been on the road, but, you know, the, the open pit copper and zinc mines that ultimately will be developed pose, you know, a significant environmental, uh, cultural and social, you know, risk as well. 
Mm. So walk us through what those impacts are expected to be. I mean, I was blown away by the number of, of rivers uh, in this area. I mean, it's, it's mostly wetlands. Nearly 3,000 rivers would be crossed, several federally designated wild and scenic rivers. It would cross gates of the Arctic National Park uh, and also have an impact on the uh, Alaska natives who live in this region and have hunted and uh, fished there for, for thousands of years. We're at the environmental impact stage right now, but how much of a challenge would it be to actually bring this road to fruition? Is there, what's the conversation on the sort of permitting side of it? Well, you would think it would be extraordinary, but the environmental impact statement has been uh, approved and, and finished under the last administration. And one of the extraordinary things about it was that in the end, the Army Corps, in conjunction with the Bureau of Land Management, actually decided not to require any uh, compensatory mitigation, which means that the, the company you know, would have to rehabilitate or restore a wetland habitat somewhere else. And the decision not to require compensatory mitigation uh, for a project as significant as this that crosses uh, so much wetland habitat was a, a huge surprise to environmental organizations and others. So, I mean, as it stands now, there are mitigation measures in the uh, impact statement, but no um, additional measures required. Do we know where the Biden administration stands on this project? I mean, they did swiftly reverse course on oil and gas drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge after taking office. And of course, it was just a couple of weeks ago that they moved to block a major copper mine in Alaska's Bristol Bay. So do we expect the same sort of reaction here? We don't know. The administration has been conspicuously silent on Ambler Road, I think in part because it's an issue that hasn't gotten uh, much attention. So I don't think they see any reason to uh, highlight it. It's uh, an important project for the Alaska delegation, including Senator Murkowski, who, of course, was a key vote in uh, Secretary Hallen's confirmation. So we, we really don't know. Uh, they do have to file a brief in the uh, legal cases against the road by mid-November. So at that point, we, we will have a better sense of, of where they stand and what they intend to do. Also, top officials at the Bureau of Land Management are preparing to pack their bags to come back to D.C. On Friday, the Interior Department reversed the Trump administration's decision to move BLM's leadership to Colorado. Instead, the BLM director and other key leaders will return to the nation's capital, where, according to Interior Secretary Dave Holland, the office will be able to better coordinate with Congress and other federal agencies. However, the new BLM office in Colorado will stay operative, According to the Interior Department, the move to Colorado cost the agency a significant loss of talent. Only 41 of the 320 employees who were asked to relocate actually did. The others either resigned or retired following the agency's move. If you want more news on energy and the environment in your inbox, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com backslash morning energy. And over the next couple of weeks, we want to hear what you love about our podcasts, what you hate, and all things in between. So head over to politico.com backslash pod survey and answer a few questions. We need your input to continue making shows that you want to hear. So one more time, politico.com slash pod survey. Thanks for your time. I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll see you tomorrow.